Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you and just pray that uh, through your spirit you'd speak through me to your people this morning. Let these be your words and let there be open hearts and open ears to what you've got to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, if there is a title for my bit of the talk this morning, it's a mixed bunch, and look at you. (laughs) Nearly a mixed bunch. So, for those who've just dropped in today or not been around many weeks, uh, we're in the final week of a series on ACT. Come on, a little bit of... 11 or 12, brilliant. Rescued by somebody who's paid attention. And so some of you'll think, well, we're not even part way through because there's still 17 chapters left. Well, take that up with Steve when he gets back. You know, he might have plans to take us through the second half of Acts. I'm not sure, but this is the last week of our look at Acts. And we've heard too much for me to try and paraphrase over the last few weeks. Suffice to say that Acts begins with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the start of the spread of the gospel. Culturally, the gospel was first spoken to Jews, God's chosen people, with the vast majority of them rejecting it. And their continual rejection of the message led to the gospel being shared with non-Jews, or as we, or back then they would be known as Gentiles. And geographically, where did it start? Well, it started in Jerusalem, but spread further afield, just as Jesus said it would in the first chapter of Acts, verse 8, when he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we've also heard that the early early New Testament church in chapter 2 devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and miss a verse or two, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. So let's take a look at the state of things in a few years on. Not too many. If I was a really clever studier of the Bible, I'd be able to tell you it's 18 years on or whatever, but I've approximated 20 to 30 years is all we're talking about from that early New Testament church to where we are in chapter 11. So let's have a read of chapter 11, and a few verses starting at 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. 
News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So, first point, the impact of the gospel in this place called Antioch. We read that the believers scattered as far as Phoenicia, which anybody that knows the geography of the Middle East is now Lebanon and Syria, or that sort of area, to Cyprus and to Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Except for a couple of couple of guys going to Antioch, men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Anybody, any, any idea where Cyrene is? Somebody's probably mentioned it from up front here. Libya. And if you got into a commentary, you know, you'd quickly see that some of the names of the people in this church at Antioch represent three continents, five countries, you know, so it's a bit more of a mixed bunch than maybe the early New Testament church. Just to get something of the scale, Antioch's about 300 miles from Jerusalem, 300 miles to the north. At that time, it was the third largest of the cities, of any cities in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. And for those looking to book a holiday, you would now have to go to a place called Antakya in Turkey. And I'm sure if you go there, you would probably find some of the remains of uh, Antioch. Uh, I was a bit of a laggard because I didn't really look to see how many people live in Antakya now, but back in the time of that we're looking at, Antioch was a city of just around a half a million people. So not an in, insubstantial place. And many were Gentiles, not Jews. How do we know that? That it was an ethnically diverse city, yet many of the different people groups were segregated in different areas of the city. Well, it was the gateway, if you think about uh, when you did Roman Empire at school or something, the far eastern edge of the Roman Empire was around about Antioch. And it was a gateway to the east. Are there any, any Roman scholars? I think the Romans are reputed to, to have got as far as northern India, but didn't last there long. 
So they're pushing, the, pushing out that way but didn't really make it. But Antioch was a thoroughfare for traffic to the east. So it was an important place commercially. So all of these different people groups, what would the city have looked like? Well, there weren't that much of a mixed bunch. And again, we read from historians that people groups or cultures tended to collect together within the town. So there was a lot of segregation within Antioch. Uh, Why does that happen? Well, we shouldn't be surprised because that happens today, doesn't it? Uh, Some people want to live near their own sorts of people. Examples, Jewish community in London, for those who know it historically, big Jewish community in Stamford Hill, in Golders Green. Other groups live where the economy dictates, where's the cheapest and most available accommodation. So newcomers to a country or a city would often congregate with people like themselves, but in places where they can afford or a combination of both. And here in Northampton, there are places where people of certain race, cultural backgrounds have established themselves over the years. Uh, For those who know the history of the town, the eastern area resided in by lots of Londoners because that's where the available accommodation was when uh, London were, people were getting fed up with living in London and the government of the time were trying to establish new towns or expanding towns. In the 2000s, Somalians moving to the town for different reasons and congregating in places like Spring Boroughs. To around the same time and even to, the, even to now, East Europeans landing in town and congregating in places like Far Cotton, Kettering Road. So nothing new under the sun. Commercially, Antioch was the gateway from the Roman Empire to the eastern, eastern part of the world. So these men from Cyprus and Libya spoke to Greek speakers, not just to Hebrews, telling them the good news of Jesus. And it might seem insignificant now, but back then it was a really significant move. You know, the word, the good news was breaking out from just being spoken and shared to the Jews, to the wider, wider community. So who did they speak to? They spoke to people who were more intelligent than they were, sometimes. They also spoke to people who were illiterate or not as educated as they were. They spoke to those who were older than them. And they also spoke to people who were younger than them. To those of a different skin color and those with a different language. To those who were richer and those who were poorer than they were. And think about, think about that. Uh, for, say for some time, how many of us have been in church services and heard preached and maybe thought, ah, oh, wouldn't it be great to belong to a New Testament church community? And I read those verses from chapter two earlier about everybody living in fellowship and sharing everything that, that they had. But there was one line in there which made me a little bit uncomfortable. 
in preparing for today's talk and looking at Antioch. Because we read at verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Suggests to me that in that early church, it was Jews who were taking the gospel, predominantly to Jews, to their own people, to people just like them. And yet here we have in Antioch a completely different picture. These men from Cyprus and Libya taking the gospel to people unlike them, quite different to them in every way. And we read, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number believed. God blessed what they were doing because they were doing God's will. It was always part of God's plan. God knew that the majority of Jews would reject the gospel message, would deny that the Messiah had ever come, deny that Jesus was the Son of God, proclaim that he was more of an imposter, just one of many others, and they were still waiting and are still waiting. But God blessed what these men from Cyprus and Libya were doing and really started to fulfill, in part, the words of Jesus about being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And probably one of the loudest things that spoke to me this week from God's word was, you know what? To reach people from the ends of the earth, we don't even have to go to the ends of the earth. They didn't in Antioch, because guess what was happening? People from afar had gathered in Antioch, were living there for all sorts of different reasons, and the men from Cyprus and Libya were able to reach them and proclaim the gospel to them where they were. Now that's not to say that somebody here looking around, Alan Rains, might be called to do mission work at the ends of the earth one day. You know, somebody might be, but I think more of us need to realize that the ends of the earth are here, here with us. A really random stat. So I was looking around, you know, trying to get a look at Northampton population figures. Where were people from, apart from being from the northeast and living here now? But in 2014, 30... And the other thing, because we've had a flood of new babies in the church, haven't we? Five in the last couple of months. 2014, 30% of all live births in Northampton were to ladies not born in the UK. I just think, think on that for the mix of people that we have in our town uh, here and now. And then in Acts 13, we read that the church, we read that the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan and Saul. And I said earlier, these were men from Cyprus, Libya, North Africa, Judea, Samaria, from different continents, different cultures, and different skin colors. So a real mixed bunch and an amazing opportunity uh, to share this new gospel of good news. So second point, what about the reputation of this mixed bunch of a church in Antioch? 
Well, there might have been a mixed bunch, but they were united by their belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for their sins, that he rose again and gave them the Holy Spirit to carry on with speaking about the gospel, seeking the lost, helping and healing the poor, and inviting all of God's people back to him. And how were they known? Well, we read in the verses that we've just read, they became known as Christians. But who thinks that they called themselves Christians? I did until I began to look at this. Not so. People are often known by where they are from or what status they have. I mean, lots of people within a few moments of speaking with me, uh, I've had various things. Are you from Wales? That was the worst. <laughs> Second worst was probably, are you from Newcastle? Which I'm not. Am I? We're not out. No, definitely not, Andrew. You know, so people quickly begin to guess, you know, where you're you're from. What group do you belong to? What did you do for a living? Or, you know, yeah, but where do you come from originally? We like to know, or some of us like to know where people uh, are from. How would we like to be known as a church here in Northampton? Would we like to be known as a group of funny Geordies? Northamptonians, a few South Africans thrown in who meet as a school, meet at a school. Or would we like to be known as a people who believe in Jesus and try to follow him? Because it was for that reason that the church in Antioch, Antioch was given a label by other people in Antioch. It was other people in the city who called them Christians because they didn't fit into any other category, because there were Jews there, there were Gentiles there, there were foreigners there, there were people from North Africa, all around. So it was like, what do we call them? So the one thing that they were known for was their love of Jesus, their belief of Jesus, and hence the name Christians. And again, what a challenge that is for us, because I would love to be known as a group of Christians in Northampton rather than that weird bunch that meet at the girls' school on the Newport Paddle Road, if that's how some people think of us. So again, just think on it. What, what do we want to be known for? What else about the reputation of the church in Antioch? They were a generous church. We read that a famine was prophesied, prophesied, struggled with this one, you won't want to see my spelling. You know what I mean, there was a prophetic word given that there was going to be a famine. And we read in the Bible in in brackets that uh, it came about, we know that it came about from other historical records. Claudius was the Roman emperor at the time, when there was a flood of the Nile, so it wasn't a drought, but it was a devastating flood that wiped out a lot of the harvest. So food became expensive, more expensive than many people could afford. 
and there was a severe shortage of food throughout the Middle East around AD 45. And the Antioch church responded by the disciples, each according to his ability, deciding to provide help for their brothers living in Judea. People that they'd never met, that had a couple of representatives come and Saul and Barnabas were there so they'd have told them something of them. But they gave generously, not anything biblical like a tithe, you know, not a tenth of, but give according to his ability. So it was a mixed church, a generous church. And I'm going to hand over to Andy now because the challenge for us is, what does this passage say to us trying to be a church here in Northampton? And Northampton isn't too much different to the city of Antioch in its makeup today. Thanks, Ken. You get two for the price of one today. Um, yeah, so what does this what does this look like at Central Vineyard? Um, uh, last week we had our friends Aaron and Diane um, come and share with us, and they talked a bit about Romans 12 and, and um, about us as making our everyday, ordinary life, our sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life as placing it before God as an offering. And, um, you know, we, we don't like to keep the best for ourselves um, here at Central Vineyard. It's not about just what happens on a Sunday morning or about us having, um, you know, a spiritual experience here on a Sunday and that's all about us. It's about actually how that outworks in our town, how we reach out um, outside of ourselves. Um, and so, you know, that, that's really, really part of our, our DNA of, um, Northampton, of, of Central Vineyard being a church within Northampton um, that's part of Northampton and that's not just a group of people that meet on a Sunday morning. Um, and so sort of thinking back, tying in with some of the other things that we've talked about over the summer, we're called to be intentional about our relationships. Um, and, you know, this might be being friendly at the supermarket, making a bit of effort with the people down your street. If you've been around for a few years, you'll have heard different um, th- different talks on the art of neighbouring. That's been a bit of a, <coughs> a buzzword that we've we've explored over over several years to kind of understand what that is. How do we actually um, get hold of, of of that concept of being good neighbours, um, of of loving people in our street, literally um, around our houses and in our networks, getting to know our colleagues a bit better, and that takes. Um, sort of an intentionality that I'm actually going to choose to to be um, in a relationship with other people, not in a weird way, um, you know, to make relationships with people. We're called to be invitational. Um, so on the back of these relationships, to actually, you know, make the extra step of saying, would you like to come and have a barbecue at my house um, and, you know, have a mixture of your Christian world and your um, secular world, your work colleagues and the people that you hang out with at church um, one of the sort of common things we've talked about over the last few years as well is of life as a, a milkshake rather than an orange. It's not in segments. It's not, you know, on a Sunday between these hours I go to church and then the rest of the week, these, you know, this is my work bit and this is my going to the gym bit and being a different person in all of those segments. It's a, it's a chocolate milkshake. It's all mixed up together. We've asked Steve how he's got on this summer without the chocolate in his milkshake. Um, what it, what it's like to take, you know, a big part of your life out of that. So, 
what does that look like for us, though, to have life all mixed up together? Um, and so being invitational might be inviting people from different parts of your life to mix together. It might be, you know, taking hold of some of those leaflets that we've had thousands of printed um, and and inviting people to the Alpha launch, um, of actually risking that, mixing things up a bit. Um, we're called to be influential, to stand out and to stand up for the right thing. So that might be in your workplace um, or in, in some part of your life where you have to stand up and say, actually, do you know what, this isn't okay, I'm not going to engage in gossip. I'm not going to be the person, you know, joining with everybody else of, of um, moaning about the boss behind their back. Or um, it's easy to say that because... Um, I don't want people to do that for me at work. Um, but, you know, I don't want to um, actually just take that from the office because it's okay, because actually I don't really get paid enough, so it's okay for me to just take a little bit extra. Um, you, it's standing up for the right thing, and, but being an influence on others um, and actually, you know, thinking I might look different in this situation, but that I'm going to stand up for the right thing. We're called to be inspirational. Um, being a messenger you know, we talked about that a few weeks ago as well, about actually our job is just to listen to what God's got for to say through us and then being bold enough to pass that on. And we don't always see the fruit of that. We don't always see how that pans out. But it's um, listening to God and having the confidence to do that. Offering to pray for somebody when they're in need, even if they don't know God personally. But we're also called to be involved. And that's where um, what Ken's just shared about, about our church is called to be involved in Northampton. So that might be in your street, in your workplace, um, but it might also be with people that you don't know. Um, and it might mean that, you know, people outside of our normal social circles, and it also means that we are called to be inconvenienced. Um, uh, Brian shared last week um, a word that he, he felt from God about being inconvenienced for the least, the last and the lost. It's really easy to love people who are similar to us, maybe not exactly the same, because they drive us absolutely crazy if there's somebody that's exactly the same as you. But if you look around this church, you know, if I'm being brutally honest, we've got kind of a similar mix of people from similar backgrounds, cultures, probably similar types of jobs. And many of us create that world around ourselves. Um, it's easy to hang out with people who shop at the same sort of shops as you, who like the same sort of music, who like the same sort of movies, you know, that you've got things in common with, that's perfectly natural. But actually, do we have a value and a space in our lives for people who aren't like us, that might challenge us, that might rub us up the wrong way, that might not be too comfortable to sit with? If you think about what you've done over the last week, who you've spent time with, are they people very similar to yourself, people who are very easy to be with? Or are there people in your lives that you have to actually be a bit inconvenienced to be around? You know, if you think about how you've spent the last few Christmases, who have you sat round your the Christmas dinner table with? Are there people there who actually would love to have a welcome and a home? Or is it just the family and the friends and the people that are really enjoyable to spend time with? Our town could be Antioch, as, as Ken said. It's less um, unusual now to have that mix of races and cultures and social backgrounds in one city. But still we create those sort of social boundaries ourselves. And one boundary that we've noticed as a church is our church on a, that meets on a Sunday and the church of Central Vineyard that meets during the week in the form of Restore. Um, you might have heard me talk about Restore, others talk about Restore. 
And you might sort of think, well, that's something that goes on out there and I don't really know much about it. Or maybe you think it's just not something you'd be interested in. Um, so Restore is the charitable arm of what we've set up. It's our compassion ministry of Central Vineyard. Um, and it was set up as a separate charity just for um, purposes of, of gaining more funding and to, and to help us get a bit more support um, and be able to do a little bit more in Northampton. But it's still very much part of Central Vineyard and the heartbeat of Central Vineyard. Um, and it's, if we look at James 2, 4 to 16, I'll, I'll read this to you. Um, we feel that this is, this is really the motivation behind it. James 2 says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can this kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So we started the food bank in 2009. Um, Sam was the real pioneer of this. Um, and it started just out of, a, out of Sam's spare bedroom um, and a few bags of groceries um, given to people who are in need over, over that year. But actually it grew into a lot more. And by 2014, um, Central Vineyard's Ministry Restore fed over 9,000 adults and children in our town, many of whom we had the opportunity to meet face-to-face. And as we met those people, we realised... There was a lot more that what people needed than was just food. That was just the tip of the iceberg. There are people in our town that are really hungry for more. They're lonely beyond measure and desperate beyond our comprehension. And we've been called as a church to, to love, this pe- love these people, to be community to these people. And we're seeking a space. Um, I mean, Steve shared a, a quite a while ago about a physical space um, that we're looking at and we've now got got other ideas. We want to be in the town centre and we want to serve the people of this town. We have a, a community drop-in that runs on a Tuesday and a Thursday and we're expanding that. We've got lots of other, other plans. But we've, we've created this space where people come. This happens at the moment. Um, you might not know about it, but people come every single week and come and be community um, in Northampton. People will just sit down and talk and we've got volunteers who will listen and serve them tea and coffee and soup and, and sandwiches and all sorts of things. And just just have the community there. And I, I don't want to hear on a Sunday morning, not that I have, I'm not, I'm not being critical, but I don't want to hear prayers of, God, show me these people that you want me to love. Because if you give me two hours on a Tuesday, I can show you those people um, that want to be loved. They will walk several miles to find our love and acceptance and a place to belong. These people who meet during the week at Central Vineyard, they don't know the Central Vineyard, they know they come to Restore, they come to the Hub, they come to the Food Bank, whatever they might call it. But these people are more vulnerable and raw and honest than I've ever seen us on a Sunday morning. These people are open to prayer and to God moving in their lives more than many of us are on a regular basis. These people don't know God, many of them. But if you say to them, do you know what, can I pray for you about that? They'll say, yeah, yes, please. And it's taken us by surprise, hasn't it, Kay? It's taken us by surprise when we've offered to pray for people and they've said yes, because we think people are going to turn us down. But there are people in our town, many, many people, who are this mixed bunch that Ken talked about. People from a mix of cultures, religions, backgrounds. There are people that walk through our doors who have had very high-powered jobs in London, who have had very 
um, good sort of social and economic circumstances and something's gone wrong in their lives and they're now in this place of desperation. There are people that have never had a job and whose parents have never had a job and whose grandparents have never had a job. There are people all through the different spectrum and different cultures, just like in Antioch. This is our church. What I see in front of me is our church, but we have more than just what meets on a Sunday morning. And there are ways, church, that you can get involved in this. If you're good with your hands, maybe you can come and teach a sewing class. If you're good to to sit and listen, you can do that. We can provide a space for you to come and sit and serve a cup of tea and listen to people. I'm just going to name a few of the things that we've got going on as part of Restore. We have an allotment, a money course. Over Over the next year, we'll be developing a cookery course, healthy lifestyle workshops, volunteering and mentoring schemes, advocacy service, parents and tots groups, a healing and prayer room, pampering sessions, skills workshops, back-to-work skills. There's so much that we have potential for that's going on that reaches people with practical needs, but also with love. And the thing that sort of ties all of that together is this community drop-in where people come to be loved and to find love and to have community. So you, you may well sort of think, how on earth can I get involved with my, you know, around my current lifestyle? How does this fit in? Um, a good friend said when he joined this church uh, a few, few years ago, I think it was, that CV was punching sort of well above its weight, that we're doing such a big compassion ministry for such a small congregation. But the thing is, our congregation's grown and Restore needs to grow as well. Our ministry beyond the, these four walls on a Sunday needs to grow to reach this town. It's a risky thing to to pray to be the church that God wants us to be. But as leaders, this has been our prayer. And this is what's sort of brought us into acts in this season. As God's giving us a challenge. Are we going to be a church, like Ken said, that's known for meeting, um, or probably people don't even know where we meet because we've moved so often, um, that we meet in a nice private girls' school uh, with people that know how to dress and how to behave and how to fit in? Or will we be known as a church that is really effective in our community? Um, One thing that always, and I've I've mentioned it before, but always sort of rings around my head is, Steve said one of the first times we we came to church, probably seven or so years ago, came here, um, what would, would would we be missed if we closed down? And I believe that um, Northampton would miss Restore if those if we just cease to exist. But I believe that there's a lot more that we can do as well. But would would anybody miss us if we stopped meeting on a Sunday morning? You know, we'd probably all find somewhere else to just go and join if, if Steve and Tammy said, right, Central Vineyard shut down. But our, our calling is to be effective in this town. It's to love a mixed bunch of people and not just be a polished, okay, I'm doing all right, thanks, Sunday morning meeting. And it doesn't, you know, I'm I'm talking about restore, but it's not just about restore. This is about our everyday, ordinary lives, our sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, that we will be challenged to let God show his love through us. If you think about the people that are involved in your life, your networks, your neighbours, your colleagues, your acquaintances, if you think about the people you meet in this town, there's, there's about 
well, over 200,000 adults in Northampton. 60% class themselves as Christians in the last census, but only about 2% attend a church. So that's a, a massive harvest in this town of people who already have some acknowledgement that God exists or some basic faith on some level. That's 116,000 adults who don't go to church on a Sunday who wouldn't spit in your face if you offered to pray for them or invited them to Alpha. You've got pretty good odds, okay? Um, and that's people who would be happy to tick Christianity on a, on a census form. Paul Robinson, uh, a few weeks ago, came and talked about the persecuted church, and one of the phrases he used was about counting the cost. So relatively, our cost is quite low. Our cost is our pride of risking, is this going to make this relationship a bit awkward if I invite this person to Alpha? Um, I invited one of our our neighbours to Alpha um, this week. I don't know whether she'll come. I invited her to the launch party and told her a bit about it. Um, she didn't spit in my face, she didn't slap me, she didn't tell me that she never wanted to speak to me again. Um, but, you know, it was a bit kind of, I don't want this to, you know, damage our relationship at all. You know, I, want to, I didn't say that. But, you know, I said, you know, I'd like to invite you to this thing. Um, it's okay if you want to come or you don't want to come. Um, told her a bit about it. And she oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll have a think about that. Um, and that was it. You know, it wasn't a big deal. It was more of a big deal for me, getting the confidence up to give her that leaflet. It wasn't a problem for her. You know, it's, but it's that, oh, can I do this? What's it gonna, what's it gonna mean to this relationship? Um, but it's also, you know, the, going back to the inconvenience thing, it's about making space in our lives. Because if you think about what you've done this week of, of how your, your time's been, what your balance of your, you know, work and life and all of that sort of thing, I think most of us would say we're pretty busy, we're pretty maxed out. Yeah, and, would people here sort of say, yeah, I'm, I'm quite, I've got enough to do, thanks. I've got family, work, responsibilities. I've got enough going on. But it's about being intentional and inconvenienced. It's making the time to commit to something. You know, maybe you could commit to the soup run once a month. Maybe you could come into one of Restore's projects during the week. And m- being deliberate about making that time to meet people that are outside of who we would normally meet on a Sunday morning or during our normal um, our normal lives of people like us. Are you willing to make some time and to be intentional? Um, one, one lady in our church is not here today, um, was in our connect group last term, and she said every morning when she gets in the car, she prays with her children and says, Lord, show me who you want me to speak to today. That's not a big inconvenience, is it? to pray that prayer but it's a real change of mindset to say right I'm popping into town rather than just going in and doing what I need to do Lord just show me if there's anybody that you want me to speak to or to bless or to you know show me if there's a homeless person that I can give some money to and also sit down and have a chat with for five minutes or there's somebody that's walking past me in town that I can just say a nice word to or a cashier at, um, at the till that just needs a word of encouragement You know, maybe even God will give us some of his secrets about these people that could change their lives and blow them away. God God can do that, you know. It's bigger than us. So some of it is changing our mindset and about saying, I'm going to be intentional about letting God work through me every single day that's not a big cost, that's not a big inconvenience. And some of it maybe, for, for some people here, would be, I can commit to something that will take me outside of my comfort zone 
that would take me outside of, you know, I've already got a lot of commitments, my money's maxed out, my time's maxed out, but maybe God will challenge you. Could you, could you invest in, in this compassion ministry of the church, either through time or money or, or giving in some, serving in some way? Because this is our church in Antioch. This is our town, this is Northampton, and it's bigger than what happens on a Sunday morning. Okay, let's stand and and pray.